Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the, the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't, do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you all about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Welcome to church. This is the last hour. The Antichrist is coming. What a joyful passage. <laughs> Uh, shall I pray as I begin? Uh, Jesus, help. I pray tonight that you would open up your word to us as we look at it now. Jesus, please would you bring assurance to us tonight of who you are and who we are in you. By your spirit, Lord, come and speak to each one of us tonight, I pray. Amen. Amen. Obsessed. We are obsessed. As a society, we are obsessed with prizes, rewards, recognition, accomplishments, achievements. It starts young. The reward of a sticker for a child for their good behavior. The medal for that sporting victory. The celebration of academic qualification. The promotion for that hard work. We are obsessed with prizes. Just this past week, my mum's just moved from what has been our family home for all of my life for more than 30 years. And as she has cleared out the house, she's found all sorts of prizes and certificates and things like that that my brothers and I have collected over the years. Things like our primary school record of achievement books, um, a whole booklet of all my swimming certificates from when I was like six or seven, a load of football trophies, and what seemed to be every bit of artwork we ever made. That prize in her eyes, at least. Um, but possibly the highest of the highlights of all my achievements, properly mounted to show its literary significance, was this groundbreaking and frankly ingenious poem that I wrote age five. Here it is. I like red. Red is nice. Warm, fluffy, socks. <laughs> profound, I tell you, profound. We are obsessed with prizes. And really what drives that obsession is the desire in each one of us to be seen, to be noticed, to be recognized, and ultimately to have that assurance that we are enough. And the prize tells us that we are enough. In our confusing world that shouts so many loud opinions about who we should be, who we could be, who we ought to be, 
We are longing for that assurance. Now, one of the main themes of this letter of 1 John that we're looking at is assurance. John is trying to assure those he's writing to of two things. One, that they know the Christian message, the good news of Jesus Christ, is objectively true. And two, that the Christian believer can know that they are a genuine believer. And I hope tonight that we're going to see that both of these assurances are in our passage and are true for us too. And what we'll see is that these assurances lead us to have hope in the prize that Jesus has offered us. Did you notice that in the passage? Take a look at verse 25 again. We are promised by Jesus eternal life, life everlasting. Yes, our lives here on earth will one day come to an end, but we will know eternal life in Jesus. So John wants those he's writing to to know this, and not just know this, but to be assured of it. That's the main reason that he's writing this letter at all. He says a little later on, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's our big question tonight then. How can I be sure that I have eternal life? How can I know for sure that I have received this eternal life that Jesus promises? It's a massive question. The promise, the prize of eternal life, that is life-changing for us. Not just in the future, but right now in the present as well. But it's something that we can so easily lose sight of and we can miss out on all the hope and peace that it can bring to us right now. It's a bit like um, thinking forward to next week's Rugby World Cup final. Well done, all the South Africans in the room. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like the New Zealand and the South African rugby teams forgetting about or not caring about the prize that is the World Cup at the end of the match next week. As the vision of that prize fades, so do the incentive and the desire to win the match. And so for us too, if we aren't living in the assurance of the promise of eternal life, then we will lose some of the hope and peace that following Jesus right now can bring. And how much greater the hope of eternal life with Jesus than the hope of winning a Rugby World Cup. Anyway, maybe you're here tonight and even hearing that phrase, eternal life, um, is making you think, what a load of rubbish. How can there be eternal life? It's way too an abstract and ethereal thing to be thinking about to be true. It's enough trying to strive to achieve all this recognition, to, to, to win all these prizes, earn all, this, uh, all these rewards now in this life, to even consider eternal life. But what I hope we'll find this evening is that when our lives are tied up with another life, the life of Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, then we can be assured of eternal life in him. And what we're going to find tonight is that John, in this passage, is giving a warning and then some assurances to the church in Ephesus that he's writing to. Three reasons that they can be assured of eternal life. So why don't we start with that warning um, in the passage. John's warning is that, that there are false teachers there's this confusion brewing in the church John is writing to because some of the teachers who have emerged are actively teaching heresy, 
John calls it counterfeit teaching, things contrary to what Jesus and the apostles taught. These false teachers have misunderstood many things about Jesus. We've already seen that they've misunderstood the two commands that Jesus has taught. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Last Sunday, we uh, saw the misunderstanding of sin and grace that leads to a lacking love for God. And then in the passage that we looked at in Connect Groups this week, um, it was a misunderstanding of love in action that leads to not loving our neighbors. But then in the passage this evening, it's a misunderstanding much more problematic than either of those two because it's not a misunderstanding of Jesus' teaching, but a misunderstanding of Jesus' identity. These false teachers were questioning who Jesus really was, whether he really was divine, whether he really was the Son of God. And so John is really quick to address this issue because the implications are huge. If we misunderstand who Jesus is and say that he was not God, then ultimately the whole foundation for our Christian faith comes crashing down. If Jesus is not God, then we are eternally isolated from God. We are not forgiven. There's no freedom from our sin. And ultimately, we're heading to death. There's no hope at all. So John knows the importance here of warning these churches of false teaching. To paint the severity of the situation, he uses this highly evocative language. He names these false teachers, those who claim to be Christian teachers and yet use their platform as a teacher to deny that Jesus was God. He calls them antichrists. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Let's be clear right now. John is not labeling anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus as an antichrist. That's not what he's saying. Those who are confused about who Jesus is or not sure who he is or haven't heard the good news, they are not antichrists. John is saying that an antichrist is someone who is actively teaching that Jesus is not God. This idea of an antichrist is such an emotive but alien thing in our culture today. It's almost this apocalyptic concept. So I've been trying to think of a modern-day equivalent of false teaching. The false teachers in the passage were denying true evidence because it didn't fit with their worldview. So let me try and give a kind of contemporary example for us. And I'm not saying that these, this group of people are antichrists. Don't hear that. But consider those that believe the flat earth theory. Those who believe and teach the theory that the world is flat, not round. They deny the proven evidence that the world is round because it doesn't fit with their worldview, their opinion that it's not round. The commentator Michael Marshall says this about what, why the flat earth theory has gained so much attention in the last few years. He says, I think that is why it's become quite successful because it had a little bit in it for anyone who might be in any way inclined to doubt the veracity of the round earth theory. And that same reason is probably why the false teaching that John is writing about was of such a danger to the church. For anyone who in any way might have had any doubts about who Jesus was, that he was actually God, this false teaching that was emerging would provide an alternative way of thinking. And it was beginning to be successful too. And so John has sent this warning 
to the church to be aware of the false teachers. He says they are opposing Jesus. They are spreading a false gospel. In verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. These false teachers do not belong to Jesus' church. They have physically departed and spiritually departed from the church. This is the warning that John is giving. Beware of false teachers who are denying Jesus. So how is John going to assure the Christians he's writing to and us today as well? Here are three assurances that we find in the passage. Assurance number one, Jesus is the truth. Look at verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. You do know the truth, John says. Hold fast to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. John had spent more or less every day of three years with Jesus, walking and talking with him. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He said that the liar is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. And so what he's really saying is that the truth is that Jesus is the Christ. Now all this talk of uh, liars and truth and false teachers and antichrists, it's a lot, isn't it? Our society hates absolutes like the truth and labels as sharp as antichrist. Maybe you're finding some of this language in the passage today a bit problematic because of that. Can I encourage you, as we read John's conviction of Jesus really being the son of God, can, you fully, can I encourage you to fully consider it? Be open to trusting John's conviction of who Jesus is. The 19th century German poet Heinrich Heine was once asked why men no longer build cathedrals like the huge and intricate Gothic cathedrals of the years previous to him. And Heine replied this. He said, people in those old times had convictions. We moderns only have opinions. And it needs more than a mere opinion to erect a Gothic cathedral. If that was true of people in the 19th century, that they had opinions rather than convictions, how much more true is, is that today in our society? In our cultural moment, opinion is the only accepted truth. My truth must be fully true, as is your very contradictory truth. It doesn't add up, it doesn't work. And ultimately, our opinions cannot and will not satisfy because they're just opinions, they're not truth. One widely, widely held opinion um, is this, and it's probably true back in the, the time that John was writing as well. The opinion that Jesus was just a great moral teacher and not the son of God. Now that opinion doesn't mean much. Jesus' teachings are meaningless if he's not God. But the conviction of that Jesus is who he says he is, that is transformational. And the conviction that he has welcomed you into a relationship with him and promised you eternal life, that is truly life-changing. C.S. Lewis wrote this about how we engage with thinking about Jesus as the truth. It's a favorite quote from Alfred. You probably have heard it before. He said this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, 
but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is the truth. He says it as noted in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true son of God. He was truly fully God and fully man. He truly did pay the penalty for all of our sin on the cross so that we can know forgiveness. He truly was raised to life and is alive today. He truly is offering you eternal life. So how can you be sure that you have eternal life? Because Jesus is the truth. Assurance number two, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, he calls you his own. How do we know that? Look at the stark contrast in those verses up on the screen. John uses when he turns from speaking about the false teachers to to speaking to and of the Christians. He says this, none of them, the false teachers, belong to us. But you, you Christians, you believers, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. John dismisses the false teachers. They are leading people astray. They are not of us. But you, he says, You have been anointed because you know Jesus the truth. He's assuring the Christians that they belong to Jesus. He says you are genuine believers. You belong to him. You have been marked as his and now that is your new identity. You have only received this anointing because you already belong to him. And John says when we belong to Jesus, it is life-changing because of what else we receive. Verse 23, he says, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Knowing Jesus as the truth means that we have access to God the Father too. We are taken from our broken state away from God, brought into right relationship with our maker because we belong to Jesus. And not just that, but God has also come to live in us. Look at verse 20 again. John writes, you have an anointing from the Holy One. If Jesus is your Lord, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who guides you. You are called a child of God. Your identity has totally changed. You belong to Jesus. And you don't just belong to Jesus now in this life. Remember what he has promised us, verse 25, eternal life. You belong to Jesus for all eternity, for whatever is going to come your way. He will carry you ultimately through death and he will bring you into eternity where you will live face to face with him forever. Life forever in the presence of your beautiful saviour.
So how can you know, how can you be sure that you have eternal life? Because you belong to Jesus. Assurance number three, Jesus remains in you. Here are two things that God has given us, as John says in the passage, so that we can know that Jesus remains in us. The first is the word of life, verse 24. As for you, see that you have heard from the beginning, the word of life remains in you. John says, says, know that the living word, which was first brought to you by faith in Jesus, make sure that, know that that remains in you. Dwell in that truth. Know that the word of life dwells in you. Abide in the word of life. Let it abide in you. Rest in that truth. Don't be swayed by false teachers. They will lead you astray. But hold fast to the word of life we find in the Bible. It's the first thing, the word of life. The second thing, the spirit. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, remains in you. Jesus remains in us right now by his spirit. The American theologian, Marianne May Thompson, uh, says this. She says, the anointing of which believers may be confident is the presence and guidance of the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit lives and remains in us always, bringing assurance of the truth. We can trust the spirit of truth to be at work in us every moment helping us to trust Jesus the truth, helping us to know that we belong to him. So together, the word of life and the spirit, the the fullness of God's word, the fullness of God's spirit, 100% of both, they remain in us now as Christians. God has given them to us to assure us that Jesus is the truth and that we belong to him. So how can you be sure that you have eternal life? because Jesus remains in you. Now, it's worth clarifying at this point what we've really been talking about when we say eternal life. It isn't just this ethereal prize that we strive for all our lives and only receive when we die. It's not just something that is worth considering later on in life when life after death might feel more relevant or immediate. Um, coming off on the screen is a timeline of our lives, a very simplistic one. Um, by it. But on the left-hand side, you can see uh, our earthly life. And then on the right-hand side, you can see our life after death. And that gap in the middle, um, that's when we die. We think that's the moment that we receive eternal life. Our earthly life ends and our eternal life begins at that point. But John is saying that is not the case. The moment we die is not the moment that we receive eternal life. Because the reality for us is that the moment that we first came into relationship with Jesus, when we first put our trust in Jesus, that is the moment that we received eternal life. Right now, if you're following Jesus, you are experiencing eternal life. Of course, we don't experience it in all its glory right now here on earth but the reality of eternal life has already begun. We can be sure of our eternal life because we are already living in it. John says this multiple times in his writing. Um, you can see on the screen there, in his gospel, he, he um, quotes Jesus as saying, very truly I tell you, the one who believes 
has eternal life. A bit later on, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then in our passage tonight, John writes, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. This is eternal life, that we know Jesus Christ. If tonight you want to know eternal life, you don't need to strive for it or excel or be the best version of you in order to receive it. All you need to do is open up your heart and receive a person, the true and living saviour of the world, Jesus Christ. At the cross, he gave up his life for you so that right now you can know eternal life in him. As we come towards the end now, John just gives us one final encouragement in this passage. It's just the final three words of the whole passage. He says, because you have already received this eternal life, remain in Jesus. It's not a passive sit in the armchair and relax kind of remaining. John's saying to remain in Jesus, just as Jesus tells his disciples to remain. Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you. Like branches that grow on a vine bearing fruit, we need to remain in Jesus the vine. So what does that look like? Earlier on in this letter, John has written, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Remaining in Jesus means that we are a branch on the vine that is his life, utterly dependent on him as we grow as his disciple and as we bear fruit for him. We walk in his ways, we let God's word and spirit teach and transform us. Also, we can bear fruit for him. So can I encourage us tonight? Let's be a church full of people who are longing to grow with Jesus. Let's be a church that is dependent on him in his word, in prayer, in worship. Let's be a church that resolutely remains in Jesus, regardless of what the world is saying. Because remaining in Jesus is a joy when we have our eyes fixed on the prize, the hope of what is to come, being face to face in the presence of our beautiful saviour forever. I love the words of a song we're going to sing a little bit later. Um, It says, when we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring Your bride will come together and will sing, you're beautiful. What a moment that will be. What hope we have in the eternal life we have received in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this about God's promises. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In a world that's trying to lead us astray, that says what even is truth? and nothing is certain, the hope of eternal life can be our anchor. It anchors our souls on Jesus the rock and helps us to remain in him. The prize of eternal life is firm and secure because Jesus is firm and secure. Jesus is the truth. We belong to him. He remains in us by his word and his spirit wherever we go. So tonight, let's be 
a church that chooses to remain in him, our firm and secure hope for all eternity. Amen. Amen. Should we stand together? Let me pray as we come to respond. Jesus, thank you that you are the truth. Thank you that we belong to you. Thank you that you are living in us now. That you have promised to remain in us for all eternity. And Jesus, thank you that there is nothing more that we need to do to know eternal life. Nothing more that we need to do than just come to you. You might want to just say sorry to Jesus now. Where maybe you have been striving to feel like you've earned that, that opportunity to know eternal life. You've been striving uh, just to, to know that assurance. Jesus, I pray that you'd be freeing us from that way of thinking that we need to earn eternal life. And please fill us with the assurance that we belong to you. Jesus, thank you for your great love for each one of us here. Thank you that you see us, that you know us, that you love us, that you call us your own. Amen.